Welcome to the Get Real About Safety podcast. In our podcast, we discuss the new view of safety, what works and what doesn't work, to break down old paradigms and help you improve safety performance in your organization. Hi, I'm Mike. And I'm Pam, and we appreciate you listening. Please share and subscribe and tell others about this podcast. You can find us on most podcast platforms and also on YouTube. Well, hello, and I hope everyone is doing well. Let's talk about the problem with JHAs. Now, they're called a lot of things. I've heard JSA, TSA, PTP, PWB. Basically, what we're talking about is a pre-work meeting where we plan the work to identify the hazards and controls. So I'm going to talk about it as a pre-work planning session during this podcast. I think we all agree that the process is a great tool. In fact, I cannot imagine safety systems where we do not include this tool. However, every time I turn around, someone is asking me for help with a failing pre-work planning process. Often, it has just become another piece of paper that gets pencil whipped by supervisors and it lacks worker involvement. So let's talk about the most common problems, and then we'll discuss some solutions to those problems. The first problem we run into is that we assume that supervisors will be adept at this process without any training or mentoring. Both of those, training and mentoring, are necessary. The question we will discuss later is what does that look like? What does that training look like? When it comes to auditing, so many times we only audit the pile of paper, not the quality of the doing or the quality of safety. In auditing various systems, I have seen many times where the supervisor was simply copying a piece of paper from previous forms and he just changed the date. You know, not only is this not effective, It's not an efficient use of leadership time. We're all concerned about the fact that leaders and frontline supervisors are not able to find time out in the field because they're doing too much paperwork. So this is not an effective use of their time. Number three is that we don't account for and assume the inevitable drift that will occur. We'll talk more about catching drift later, but we have to assume that your process is going to deteriorate from the minute you put it into place over time. Number four I have is failure to include error traps, error precursors, performance modes, risk assessment, and work readiness into this system, into the analysis piece. These should all be part of the formal process, and we'll talk some more about that in solutions as well. Number five is our failure to identify critical steps. In most tasks, and especially in tasks with SIF exposure, SIF exposure being serious injury or fatality exposure, 
there are steps that must be done correctly or a SIF may occur. These very much need to be identified and discussed in that pre-work meeting. Number six, not conducting the session as a group brainstorming session. I've seen many JHAs done by a supervisor and the only involvement of the crew was signing a piece of paper. And, you know, frankly, I, I'm not convinced of the need for that signature on that piece of paper and that seems to be something that everybody is so concerned about auditing. What matters is, did they get anything out of it and did they participate in it? Uh, this is also, by the way, known as a donut-eating meeting. If that's all we're doing is getting to eat donuts, we're not getting much bang for our buck. It is the workers, the subject matter experts, who know the job, who know the hazards, and also know the solutions. Now, some crews will have workers take turns leading this process, which is a great tool, and I'm all about that, but it also still has to include interaction with the group and the supervisor. So you might have some more, I'd love to hear from you if you've got some more um, problems that you encounter with this process, but um, let's talk about maybe some solutions. Number one is training of supervisors is a requirement. It's a given. They haven't been trained. They're not gonna know how to do this. But the training needs to also include some practice in how to break down the steps of the task using typical scenarios in the workplace. In other words, it needs to be a group brainstorming, active training process, not just reading a PowerPoint to them. Number two is we have to audit audit, audit, and audit, and not just by safety staff. We need to require our management, our leadership, to spend a defined period of time attending these pre-work meetings for the purpose of evaluating the process, mentoring where necessary, and participating in the discussion. Which of course leads us to the fact that management also needs to be trained as well to understand that how they respond to system issues that are identified in that process matters. Management needs to acknowledge that their systems can contribute to the problems and be willing to listen, provide assistance, and resources. We need to audit the quality of the process, not just the doing. Now, one project I know of assigned a safety person as a mentor to each crew who is responsible for attending and assisting and mentoring the process. This is a great idea. Does not mean that safety staff should conduct the meeting. They absolutely should not. This activity belongs to supervision. We are too um, quick to assume the role that should be um, activities done by supervisors, this is definitely one of those. However, the role of safety people is to advise and to mentor and to train, so that is a good role for us to do. Number three, expect the drift. It is inevitable 
And we can only do something about it if we're actively seeking drift. Any new procedure will start out relatively well. In fact, usually procedures are put in place after an event and we come up with a new one. So if pre-work meetings is our new thing, then that's great. It, usually they start out relatively well, but then they deteriorate. So we have to provide frequent opportunities to catch drift. We've got a number of clients who do drift sessions where they brainstorm with a group. It can be done with leadership. It can be done with workers. It can be do, done with frontline supervisors. It can be done with different groups. But you ask the question, where are we drifting? And it's always pretty shocking, even in really good organizations, when you put a group of folks together and have them do that, how many of those things come up? Then, of course, we can identify how many of these are SIFs and, or potential SIFs, and uh, it, can, it can get the attention of management. So we have to have an organization that is constantly seeking drift. Number four in solutions is to review your process. And there's a number of steps in this. If we look at the typical, most, well, maybe not the typical, but the most basic process, there'll be three columns, the job steps, the hazards, and the controls. It's a lot more we need to be ca capturing there, but that is kind of the basic starting point. So the first problem is job steps this, or the steps of a task. Usually the analysis of the steps is very superficial and we miss many, many, many steps. Any task will have many steps to accomplish it. Again, this is going to require brainstorming by the group, by folks who do the task. Identifying hazards is not so difficult, although we don't always capture the outliers. We capture maybe the most common. But when we start talking about controls, man, this usually devolves to wear PPE. I mean, that is the number one thing we see. What are the controls? Wear PPE. Really? We all remember the hierarchy of controls. Where is that? It's at the bottom, right? PPE is the last choice but so often it becomes the first and the only control. Oh, and by the way, if one of your controls is for workers to pay attention, it's time to go back to HP 101 here. So if PPE is the only control we have put in place, this puts our workers in what's called a single point failure position, the point in which one mistake in the PPE, one error, an injury can occur. It's not a robust system. Next is that in our process, we need to have an understanding of human performance. Without it, we will miss things like error traps in the workplace because we don't even see them. We need our folks and especially our supervisors to understand performance modes. So we talk about error traps and performance modes in, in other podcasts. But an example of uh, performance modes is that we need to identify where a worker is operating and what we call the knowledge-based mode. 
This is where the worker lacks experience or skill, and they will have a much higher potential rate of error. They may be in that knowledge-based mode because they've not done the task before, or they haven't done it in a long time, and they haven't had practice in doing it. Some clients who have experience in human performance add these as columns to their format, their, their process, and they'll add identifying performance modes, identifying error traps, latent conditions along there. Another one that is good to add, and I've seen this done before, is having a column for risk assessment. Failure to assess risk is critical. We need to focus on those tasks where there is potential for SIFs, not the potential for minor injury. Some people use the term sticky or stuff that kills you. However you do it, Everyone in the organization needs to be laser focused on high risk tasks. Also, what needs to be included is work readiness. This is where the supervisor and workers have been taught to identify fatigue, mental readiness for work, physical readiness for work, and address that as a reminder in their at a very minimum. We've talked about this before, but the um, error rate for folks who are fatigued, whether that be from work hours or from personal issues, is very high. You may want to consider creating SOPs or standard operating procedures for routine tasks. This ensures consistency, which is a great error reduction tool, the pre-work meeting then consists of a review of the SOP and discussion along with identifying any changes that may have occurred along with that work readiness, risk assessment, etc. Identification of critical steps. This is the place where in, in any activity where an error can cause serious injury or death. We need to list them and then brainstorm how we might ensure that those steps are not missed. This can be as simple as using a checklist or a peer check process. If, for example, flipping on a breaker can cause death, why would we not, not want a peer check process to do that task? We can also look at elimination and engineering controls. Those should be at the top of the list in brainstorming critical steps. Can we change the process, the equipment, or the task itself? Lastly, JHA's pre-work meetings, they must be done in interactive, vigorous discussion method. To achieve this, you need workers to feel free to bring up issues that might be sensitive to management. We can't make workers feel safe by putting up posters. We must make sure our frontline supervisors have the leadership and communication skills to create this kind of an environment. Another thing you might want to consider is adding a post-work briefing. The purpose of a post-work briefing is to determine how effective our planning was, what needs to change, what worked, what didn't work. This does not have to be a long process. It can be pretty quick and short, but it can be extremely valuable and it helps us learn. 
In summary, the pre-work, post-work meeting process is a very important safety tool. By creating a vibrant and interactive process, learning from our processes, and engaging the workforce, we can improve our culture, our systems, and our leadership. Thanks, be kind, and go out and save a life today.